You're listening to sermon audio from Landmark Christian Fellowship. To find out more about us, please visit lcflandmark.com. Thanks for listening, and we trust that this teaching will grow you in following the way of Jesus. want to welcome you once again to Resurrection Sunday. We, we sang this morning, the greatest day in history, death is beaten, you have rescued me, sing it out. Jesus is alive. And, you know, we don't put a lot of emphasis on Holy Saturday in the evangelical tradition, but perhaps this is the year that we will change that for the future. Because this year we currently find ourselves living within Holy Saturday, the day that Jesus was in the tomb and everything was uncertain. We live in a world right now that is suspended in uncertainty. The disciples didn't know how Saturday and on would turn out. And we don't know how and where we're at and what we're all experiencing, how it will all end. And to say that it's unsettling actually feels like an understatement at times, at least for me. We're living in the midst of Holy Saturday right now in our world and trusting that the hope and the joy embodied by the resurrection will in fact come. And so perhaps more than ever in our lives, we need to sit with and wrestle with the claims of the resurrection. We need to hear that Jesus is alive that death is beaten, and that the resurrection was and is the greatest day in history. And I believe that there is no greater day in all of history than Resurrection Sunday. In the midst of such widespread uncertainty and tragedy in our world, it is the resurrection of Jesus that changes everything. Our world is looking for hope in these days, and you see it all around us. We're, we're putting up messages in our windows of hope and colorful things because we just want to believe that everything is going to be okay. And we're doing this because we need hope in the midst of such widespread death, hundreds of people dying every day in certain cities. And the sadness that we are experiencing, the sadness that people all over the world are dealing with and not even even being able to see loved ones who are dying, not being able to hold funerals for loved ones. It is tragic. And we're grasping for hope. And the Bible tells us where this hope is found. It is found in the reality of the resurrection. The resurrection is real. And the Bible tells us why. At the end of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, the Apostle Paul begins to conclude his letter by focusing on the reality of the resurrection of Jesus and what it means for all those who follow Christ. And in doing so, we confront the questions surrounding such a claim and the implications of it. In his book, Miracles, C.S. Lewis wrote, to preach Christianity meant to the apostles primarily to preach the resurrection The resurrection is the central theme in every Christian sermon reported in the Acts. 
the resurrection and its consequences were the gospel or good news which the Christians brought. And so for the next few minutes here, I want to unpack part of 1 Corinthians 15 in order to examine the claims of the resurrection, what it means for us. And then next week, we'll look back at the, look at the back half of 1 Corinthians 15 to see how it all builds on today. But the reason that Paul wrote this initially is that there were some in the Corinthian church 20-ish or so years ago, uh, years after Jesus' death and resurrection, that were questioning the claims that there is the promise of resurrection life for those who follow Jesus. So if you think about it today, we're in 2020, so in about 1995, the year 2000, after it had happened, now, 20-ish years later, the people are going, I don't know about that. And it's not unlike today, where there is widespread doubt about whether or not any of this that we're claiming is true. Perhaps even in the church, we hope it's true, but maybe we're wrestling with doubt at times. Did this actually happen? So I want to read for you something from 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So I want to begin with asking the question, what if the resurrection never happened? What if this day is just all of a cooked-up tradition that has no historical basis? What if it's a day that's taken on a life of its own for hundreds of years but has no basis in historical fact? What if? If Jesus Christ was not a living, breathing, physical person that was physically raised from the dead to new life, then all of our preaching... All of our claims, all of our faith is in vain, meaning it serves no purpose. If the resurrection didn't happen, then Christianity is silly. You can and you actually should disregard it. There is no forgiveness of sins. There is no redemption. There is no hope of eternity. There is no justice. There is no peace, and on and on. If we claim this to be, and it's not, Paul says that, It is even a misrepresentation of God. We don't even know God. You might as well serve and worship whatever suits you best in life. If the dead are not raised, then Christ is not raised. And if this is the case, our faith is futile, meaning it's useless and empty. We are still trapped in our sins without hope. Verse 32 says, if the dead are not raised, if none of this is true, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. 
So go for it. Live for selfish hedonism. Follow the pursuit of pleasure wherever it leads, wherever it leads, because all that awaits you is death. Live it up. He who lives and dies with the most toys wins, and on and on and on. And all those who claim to follow Christ and have died, as verse 18 says, have fallen asleep, they mean have died, they've perished. They are simply wasting away in the ground. Their bodies are decomposing. They are gone. Paul concludes that if this is the case, then those in Christ are to be pitied the most. It's all for nothing. All the mission work, all the lives surrendered to preach the gospel over hundreds of years, all who have sacrificed their lives for Jesus means nothing. But, but, what if the resurrection did happen? I want to read from verse 3 in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Paul begins his defense of the resurrection by stating that the preaching of it is of first importance. Nothing is more prominent when it comes to our faith than this. Nothing. That is, Jesus died. He physically died. He was buried. Important because if you're buried, it means you were really dead. People who aren't dead aren't buried. And he was raised on the third day. It declares his credibility. He prophesied this before his death multiple times that he would raise himself on the third day. Dead guys who rise from the dead have ultimate credibility. It's never been done. Ever. According to the scriptures, texts written hundreds of years prior to his death, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. They they speak to both his death and his resurrection. The resurrection is also spoken of in Hosea 6, 2. Psalm 16, 10. Genesis 22 is Isaac is a foreshadowing of Jesus. And Paul, after saying this, he then lists those that saw Jesus following the resurrection. He says Cephas or Peter saw him first. The the restoration that Peter experienced after his denial of Jesus. It's extraordinary. It's the kindness of Jesus. Then he appeared to the twelve, to the disciples. Then it says he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And Paul says most of whom are still alive. Meaning, go ask them. If you don't believe that this happened, go and talk to the ones that saw him. Because they are still alive. See, we don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus because we have faith. No, not ultimately. We believe in the historical 
evidence. It proves that it is true. Jesus rose from the dead. James, Jesus' brother, is also mentioned as having seen him. And the various times within the apostles are also mentioned here that are written of in the Gospels. Acts 1.3 says that Jesus presented himself alive by many proofs for 40 days. They weren't, the disciples in the early church weren't shy about claiming this because they knew that it was true. See, people die for what they believe to be true. Terrorists fly planes into buildings and die for it because they believe that what they're following is true. The disciples died, ended up dying for Jesus because they believed that it was the truth. Now, if they knew that it wasn't the truth and that they had all made it up, then they weren't dying for something that they believed to be true. See, we, we die for what we believe and know, and the disciples knew that it was truth. To claim that this is all a fallacy or some made-up legend is to deny or ignore how anything in history is recorded and believed, actually. This is historical fact. If this were not true, in the early days of the church, the Jewish authorities or the, the Romans would have presented the dead body of Jesus and said, look, here he is. Uh, the gig's up, guys. The end of the movement is here. They never did. The early church didn't even focus on the physical location of the empty tomb. Only a generation later, no one in the early church knew exactly where the empty tomb was. Why? Because they didn't celebrate it as a shrine. It didn't mean anything. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive. The tomb didn't mean anything. Josephus, who was a famous Jewish historian, he was born four years after Jesus' death and resurrection in 37 AD. He wrote extensively on Jewish history at the time. And he wrote more than anyone actually at that time because of his favor with the Romans gave him the means to buy and afford a lot more scrolls than most people. And he wasn't a follower of Christ, Josephus. In fact, he wasn't even really a strong Jewish believer either. He was aligned with the Romans. But Due to the proximity of his writings to Jesus' death and resurrection, his writings have near eyewitness quality. And he gave a lot of backgrounds of the times. Twice he mentioned Jesus in his writings. And there were others too. Suetonius and Tacitus and Pliny also were others who wrote of Jesus, secular writings that mentioned Jesus of Nazareth. In the first mention by Josephus, he says this about Jesus, that he won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. And he also wrote, he was perhaps the Messiah. They, his followers, reported that he had appeared. And the second mention, he was actually writing about James, the brother of Jesus, as he was brought up on charges before Jewish authorities. And it has a, actually a weird ring of, of the way that Jesus also was brought up before the Jewish authorities. And there he wrote of James, the brother of Jesus, who was called Christ, or the Messiah, the anointed one. The fact is the historical evidence is massive that Jesus lived, that he died, and was resurrected from the grave. And so if the resurrection happened, it has massive implications. 
I want to read verses 20 to 28 in 1 Corinthians 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. And when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is, expect, he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. It says there in verse 20 that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The reason that they say here more than once in this passage, they talk about those who have died as those who have fallen asleep is because there was a, a firm belief that those who are in Christ, for those who are in Christ, there is no real death. They did not die. They just went on living in Christ. And the Greek word there for first fruits is aparche. And it was used at the time in secular terms to mean uh, entrance fee. Meaning, you want in? You need Jesus. He is your ticket to the resurrection life. It is Jesus. But the meaning of first fruits has actually a, a far deeper meaning in the Bible than just that. Way deeper. It was explained, um, it refers to the feast of the first fruits. And that's explained in Leviticus 23, verses 9 to 14. And the feast of first fruits was observed on the day after Sabbath following Passover, the exact day that Jesus rose from the dead was the day of the feast of first fruits. And the feast of first fruits was a bloodless grain offering because the Passover lamb had been sacrificed. There was no atoning sacrifice needed. And we see this in Hebrews 10 where it says that Jesus is the perfect and complete offering. There is no longer any need for sin offerings. Zero, none. It has been finished. And the first fruits offering was one sheaf of grain that was brought to represent the rest of the harvest to come. It's astounding. Verse 23 affirms Jesus is the first fruits and then many more will come after him in the resurrection. Romans 6, 5 says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. It's amazing hope and truth. Verse 21 and 22 says that through one man, Adam, came death. 
Through Adam was the entrance of sin into the world. It is the human condition that we all struggle with, that we all deal with. But through Jesus comes the resurrection of the dead. In John 5, 29, speaking of this, Jesus said that there is a time coming when all will be resurrected, everyone, either to life in Christ or to resurrection of judgment. So Paul Martins was born August 29th, 1979. And when I will die, I don't know. God knows the number of my days on this earth. But that is not the end of Paul Martin's. We are meant to live forever. Physical death is not the end for us. Those in Christ are made alive. You will get a new physical body. The resurrection isn't just about living again. It's about living again in a new body based on your old body, but it will never fail. It is a new resurrected body. A biblical understanding is not that you are, sorry, that you have a body, but that you are a body. Everything within us is interconnected. Our emotions, our feelings, our psychological state, our physiological state, our spiritual state, all impact and affect our physical bodies. Science increasingly supports this, that what's going on in you emotionally and psychologically has a direct impact on how you're doing physically. Your body is not simply about your physical appearance. Thankful, I'm very thankful for that. It is about your whole person. And we will receive a completely new, whole, resurrected person. In John 19, verses 34 and 35, it says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there out came blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. You know, John is getting really personal here. He's saying, I was there, I saw it. And he's once again making a connection there between blood, water, and Jesus. All throughout John's gospel, there's this picture of the life-giving water of Jesus, the sufficiency of his blood. Biblically, it's understood, life is in the blood which is why the sufficiency of Jesus' blood for us when it comes to eternal life is so, so profound. The death of Jesus in the physical realm, it was awful, it was horrible, it was hardly something that we can even begin to comprehend. But for us, please understand, it was the best thing. It is the most beautiful thing because it brought us eternal life. And for John, life is knowing God. This is eternal life, that you may know God, he says in his Gospels. And this life never ends. In Christ, there is eternal life. Life without pain, life without all the sin stuff that we deal with, life without all of that. Life for eternity with 
a God who is inherently and wonderfully good. Death is defeated and it will ultimately be defeated. The last enemy to be defeated is death, it says here in 1 Corinthians 15. God has raised Jesus up. He's physically resurrected him, and he is a living man in heaven, seated far above all things. And the day is coming when all things will be put under his feet. All things already are under his feet, and one day we will fully realize it. God will be all in all. The point is, the resurrection is real, and therefore it changes everything. It has the greatest effect upon our lives. It shapes and defines everything in our lives now. What happened on the third day? It changed the trajectory of humans for all of history. I I watched a video this week of people a few years back on the streets of Nashville right around this time of year and they were getting interviewed about um, Holy Week and and the resurrection and they were asking these people, what what happened 2,000 years ago? And and there was a bunch of them who were like, I don't know. And there was this one couple and and eventually after some prodding, the wife said, well, I think it's the, the resurrection of Jesus. And she was asked then, what does it mean? And she said, well, I don't know. And then the interviewer, he turned to the, the husband and he said, so what do you think? And he says, I don't go there. And the interviewer asked me, he says, what do you mean you don't go there? He says, I don't go there. Why not? And I think the reason likely may be because the implications are enormous. You can't admit to the resurrection of Jesus without realizing that it impacts and affects everything. Nothing is left untouched. Sorry, I just realized my timer was, uh, I had my timer on my phone. Oh, water in my eye. Oh, I'll just, I, I was looking down now, so I'll try to splice it as best I can. That's the reality. You won't, you won't hardly notice it. No, I did it last week with Gene, too. Did you notice that last week? Okay. Really? See, I do, because I know exactly where it is, so I'm like, ugh. Yeah. The most important thing is that I don't start in a totally different position, because <laughs> then it's going to be, what? <laughs> okay. Okay, here we go. Paul begins 1 Corinthians 15 with what amounts to the implication for all of us. He reminds the Corinthians of the gospel he brought to them. He says, the gospel which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, meaning there it's present and it's ongoing. It's in the present tense. He says, there is a condition. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, and 
It's in the tense of it's a continual possession, as in hold on to it. We need to hold on to it. Hold fast. You know, when you, when you buy and sell a house, there are conditions that you have to meet normally for most people. We, we had to, the financing conditions, the sale of an existing property, and et cetera, et cetera. And the thing is, when you go through that, you don't look negatively on those conditions. They have to be met. You want to meet them. You desire to complete the deal, and so you go through those steps. This condition that is given here for us is not something that has to be a negative in our lives. We want to live for Jesus. We want to continue holding on to his goodness and to the truth of the gospel. It is everything. And then Paul adds in verse two, unless you believed in vain, meaning unless you believed for no purpose with no results, meaning previous belief at one point doesn't get you a VIP pass and get you in. Holding on to this truth is about coming from death into life. Everything is changed. We come from death into life. How would we not be remarkably different? It's like a caterpillar caterpillar that changes to a butterfly. There is no going back. The caterpillar has changed. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not somewhat true. It's not just a little bit important. It is entirely true, and it is infinitely important for every single person. It is not an event that invites us to be complacent or have apathetic belief that has no effect in our lives. It's the greatest day that will ever be, and it is the event that changes lives all around the world forever. You're changed. The same power, it says in Romans 8.11, the same power that rose Christ Jesus from the dead, that power that rose him from the dead, which is a historical fact, said lives in you, it says. Lives in me. Lives in you. In us. The world right now is facing a situation never before experienced by any of us. And Regardless of what we believe about what is all happening, and there's so much stuff out there to take in, the effect upon us and upon our lives is real. It is really real right now. And people are dying, and the threat of physical death is real, which makes the message of the resurrection the most relevant of all truth right now. We don't have to fear death because there is no death for those in Christ. And it's the truth from which we live. I want to I connect for us what 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15 says about the resurrection, what we've read, with Paul's word to the Corinthians in his second letter to them. And I want to read a couple verses here for us. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. I think it's so relevant for where we are right now. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We have the greatest hope in the world because of the truth of the resurrection. There's nothing even close. There is glory coming beyond all comparison. We're going to end by singing Living Hope this morning. And that song includes these words. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Not my past hope, not my future hope, my living hope now. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. Not that it will lose its grip on me, not that I will be set free, I am set free. Death has lost its grip on me and I am free. And you are free. Praise Jesus. Even those words, as incredible as they are, feel like they fall short of the magnitude of what the Father has done for us. Father, we are so grateful. We are eternally, eternally thankful because you are so good. You are infinitely good. You, it, there's a cascade of goodness coming, flowing down from you because your Son went to the cross died, was buried, and rose again on the third day and lives forevermore. And we, sinners, are the beneficiaries. Father, we are so, so grateful. And we, for eternity, we sing, you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Landmark Christian Fellowship. We hope that this material served to help you grow in following the way of Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit lcflandmark.com.